What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Wednesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we flipped the schedule a little bit this week and going forward. It is now preview day on the Wednesday edition of Drive Time. We'll dive into the Dolphins and Chargers matchup with the key schematics, personnel usage, and the matchups that can go a long way in deciding the outcome of the game on Sunday. Plus, we'll hear from Coach Flores and some Dolphins players on their Wednesday media availabilities. All of that and more on this Wednesday, November the 11th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And Drive Time is brought to you by AutoNation, where Dolphins fans can sell their vehicle for cash now. Visit AutoNation.com. Let's go ahead and kick off Brian Flores' Wednesday media availability with a special shout out to all the veterans out there. As all of us here at the Miami Dolphins wish you a happy Veterans Day. I'm going to start by uh, today's Veterans Day. So I just wanted to uh, shout out Adam LeChance, who's on our strength and conditioning staff. He's a, a veteran. And I wanted to you know, thank him for his service and all the veterans for their service. So there is Flores' opening message at his Wednesday morning media availability. Up next, he was asked about the offensive line. We heard Coach Flores speak earlier in the week about how they have six guys that really they feel great about they can put out there in a moment's notice. Here's Coach talking about the offensive line, the weekly competition, and different combinations they have. Well, I mean, it's always an open competition. Um, we've got you know, a number of guys we feel very good about. There's a few different combinations um, we can go with. I think Jesse's a, Jesse Davis is someone who's played multiple positions and played them at, at a good at a good level. Um, also working in the, the young guys, um, you know, Hunt, Tom, and Austin. And, um, you know, we feel good about all of them. We'll see how practice goes this week, and uh, we'll, we'll see the group that's out there on Sunday. And we did see seven offensive linemen play in the game on Sunday against the Cardinals. Solomon Kinley had 15 snaps. Julian Davenport played one snap in the game. Then you had Austin Jackson get in for, I think it was 43 snaps in the game on Sunday. Then the other three guys played every snap uh, offensively for Miami. So plenty of options, plenty of combinations. You heard him mention Jesse Davis's versatility. Guy works at tackle, guy works at guard. He even talked about playing some center in the offseason this training camp. So plenty of combinations, plenty of options for the Dolphins with good offensive linemen both in the top five and on the bench for Sunday. And by now on this Wednesday, I'm sure you've seen NFL Network, ESPN, major Major sports outlets talking a lot about the Miami Dolphins in recent days and recent weeks, and they've been one of the one of the headline stories so far. And, and Coach was asked about managing the hype of the outside noise and, and not letting the outside noise get inside the building. Here's Coach Flores on dealing with the hype and outside noise. I think the focus is, and look, we all understand. I understand that it's there, um, that that you know we're being talked about, but. Really, the only thing that matters is what's going on in, in our building. Um, I'm not sure how much um, anyone outside of our building really actually knows that's going on inside the building. So the way we practice, the way we prepare, how we walk through, um, the only people who can really tell them the truth about you know how they played in a game or how they played in practice or you know how they did in a meeting is the people that are here. So that's that's kind of my message. You know, I'm going to tell them the truth. 
I mean, I'm not going to blow smoke up anyone's behind. I think they know that. And look, we got a whole half of a season left. So I think we need to focus on that. And, you know, even more than that this week, uh, you know, good team that we're playing this week in the Chargers. And, you know, putting our energy anywhere else or listening to anything else, you know, in a lot of ways is less energy on, you know, on a, a good opponent with a lot of good players and a lot of good coaches. They're gonna wish they weren't. Maybe, hopefully, it doesn't get to the point where they they they, they spent too much time on something else and not enough on the Chargers. They, they they would feel the effects of that on a Sunday. So that's my message. And up next for Coach Flores on this Wednesday morning media availability, he was asked to talk about the progress of Tua Tungavailoa and what's impressed him most as far as how far he's come through the first half of his first season. It's the same thing that. that, that that he did earlier in the year. I mean, his preparation, his, uh, his focus, his, his uh, wanting his asses, the way he asked questions, wanted to learn. So, um, and all that, you know, leads into, or I think to me, in my opinion, gives you an opportunity to, to have success on the field. So I think if he just continues to prepare the way uh, he has and even take it up a notch, um, because as a rookie, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So in a lot of, in a lot of ways, a lot of instances, he's learning how to prepare, how to prepare better. And I think that's that's been the case really even over the last you know couple of weeks. So he's like a, he's a sponge. I mean that I like, and he's open to learning different things and um, learning it from different views, whether it's a defensive coach or an offensive coach or something in the kicking game. Or he's doing well. We'll go ahead and follow up on the Tua Tungavailoa note there as on Tuesday, offensive coordinator Chan Gailey talked about the difference as far as athletic ability and physical nature of his game from Tua's college tape to what he saw this last Sunday against the Cardinals. And Coach was asked the same question about the things that Chan had seen. Here's what Coach has to say about Tua's physical or physical nature of his game and the athletic ability he displayed on Sunday. I think he looks good. I mean, I mean, I hadn't seen a dead leg from him, from him in college. I thought that was a nice move he made the other day. So he's, uh, I think he, you know, physically he looks good. I mean, we just got to continue to take care of himself. I mean, that's part of being professional um, from a nutritional standpoint, from a weightlifting standpoint. Again, obviously from a preparation standpoint, all those things are important. You know, is there a difference? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm not really thinking of it, about it in those terms. Um I just think he's he looks like he's healthy and you know doing a good job with his preparation and leading the offense and, and yeah, it looks he looks healthy to me. And on the topic of health, we'll go ahead and finish out Coach Flores' Wednesday morning media availability with some talk about Preston Williams, next man up mentality, the skill positions on offense for the Dolphins. First, here's Coach's update on Preston Williams. Well, I mean, look, we ran some tests. Preston is going to go to IR, um, so it's a little bit more significant than we initially thought. Coach was then asked to follow up about players that can step in and fulfill the role left in the vacancy of Preston Williams and the magnitude of his loss at wide receiver. It's a big loss. I mean, Preston's you know made a lot of plays for us um, the first half of the season. Um, but you know we got you know guys who will step in. Jakeem stepped in for him last week. Mac Hahn stepped in and you know had a big play. You know Kirk Merritt was up last week. Played well in the kicking game. Played a little bit offensively. So. Um, and you mentioned Lynn, and so yeah, these guys. You know, I think we. Uh, I think it's kind of how we have to approach this. You know, someone could be down for COVID. Someone could be down due to injury. You know, we need the next person to step in, uh, player, coach. You know, 
whatever whatever it may be. So um, that's kind of uh, as a team, you know, it's 2020. So take that approach, and I think those guys will step in. We got to get them coached up, put them in positions to to have some success. And so this obviously one of the bigger stories of the day around the Miami Dolphins, and we cover this in the top news story up on MiamiDolphins.com. And I went back and looked at some of the some of the stuff Coach talked about there with players stepping up and fulfilling the role there of Preston Williams. I went back to last season, and actually this announcement, this injury comes at the exact juncture last season when Williams went down in 2019 with the ACL. Obviously, Coach mentioned the gravity of the injury. He wouldn't go any further into it than what it is, just that Preston's on injury reserve, which of course he can come back from. Uh, he's eligible to come back from in three weeks. But in that rookie season, Williams was tied for the rookie lead with 32 receptions. He was third among rookies in receiving yards with 428. The catches was 32. And he also was tied for third with four touchdown catches at the time of his week nine injury. This season, also in eight games, Williams had 18 catches, 288 yards, and four touchdown receptions. So Coach Flores says it's a big loss. Preston made some big plays over the first half of the season. We saw some of the vertical passes from both Fitz and Tua going up top to Preston, trusting him to make those big plays, and he came down with the football. And losing a player of Williams' caliber and production is never going to be easy, obviously, but Miami's next man up mentality has served this team well under Coach Flores. You just heard him talk about that. The team played the fourth quarter without the services of running backs Miles Gaskin and Matt Breida. Tight end Durham Smythe was out. Receivers Williams and Lynn Bowden Jr. were not available at that point of the game. Bowden missing the game entirely. Williams injured in game. And that group of skill players accounts for 961 offensive snaps through the first half of the season. And still Miami mounted 10 fourth quarter points to go down there and win that football game. You heard Coach talk about some of the players that can step up and fulfill that role and replace those reps of Preston Williams. He talked about the depth, not just on your roster, but obviously your coaching staff throughout the course of this last week with the COVID restrictions and protocols and being forced to to play in that game down a few coaches and obviously down a few players as well. But the Dolphins provided an early example in this game for the strength of the roster from top to bottom. After Williams exited the game, Miami had five possessions that produced 176 yards and 13 points, not including the final drive, the kneel down victory formation drive. And that 13 points on five possessions, that's good for 2.6 points per drive. That's 0.1 points better than Miami's season average this year at 2.5 points per drive. So they fulfilled the next man up mentality and produced when they had to with what they had available. And several players picked up their performances in Williams' absence. Devontae Parker pulled in five of his six receptions in that game for 61 yards after Preston left. He also had a 21-yard pass interference call against him after Preston left. So really, 82 yards of production in basically a half of football without Preston Williams out there. And recall last year, Parker really took off in the second half of the season as well when Williams was lost for the season. So he has a way of elevating his game when the team needs him that way. All four of Jakeem Grant's receptions for 35 yards occurred after Williams had to exit. And you heard Coach talk about Mac Hollins making the big play. The first reception of his Dolphins career is a game-tying touchdown in the fourth quarter. Malcolm Perry, Lynn Bowden also factor into that equation as you hear Coach answer the questions about those guys. Perry made his NFL debut two weeks ago against the Rams. He's played 30 offensive snaps, and fellow rookie Bowden Jr. has 23 snaps on offense of playing time after coming over from Las Vegas in that trade back in September. Go back to what Chan Gailey said on October the 20th about Lynn Bowden. He kind of broke his game down a little bit. He said, Bowden has some natural route running ability. He has some natural athletic talent. He's still just in the process of learning everything, the nuances of playing at this level. It's not the athletic talent. It's just learning the nuances 
nuances and being of being able to compete, end quote. And I go back to a quote here from Josh Grizzard, Dolphins receivers coach on Malcolm Perry, saying, quote, He's just worked so hard since he's gotten here, and he's kept his head down and just keeps improving from week to week. You can tell that he's committed to the details, end quote. And it's not just wide receivers that step in to fill that void left by Williams after his foot injury. Flores also talked on Wednesday about the usage of Perry and Bowden, but how Miami can get creative in their groupings, whether it's receivers, tight ends, or backs, to help fill out those reps. I think it's, you know, nothing changes on our end from that standpoint. I don't think you can just, you know, hey, somebody went down, so you go from playing 10 plays to playing 60. I mean, that's how it goes. I think you know, we'll try to split the reps, um, in some form or fashion, I think some of the guys who've already been up and have practiced in some of those roles, you know, like I mentioned, Jakeem, Matt Collins, um, you know, Malcolm Perry's been in there a little bit. I think, you know, to mix those with those other young guys, um, you know, there's a few different ways we, we can do this. I mean, you don't have to only just put one grouping in there. We've got some tight ends who can play, We've got some backs who can play. So you can only play 11 at a time. So, it doesn't have to be three and four wide receivers. Like, I think everyone ex- expects it to, to show up that way, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So I think we can we can handle that um, with the rest of the team. Uh, again, it's a team game. We need you know the tight ends, the backs, the receivers, and like I said, I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different year since the year of COVID. So uh, we've we've had some other teams who've been down you know multiple people at, at positions and. You don't not play, you, you adjust. So we'll adjust if we need to. And look, no one is downplaying the loss of Preston Williams, obviously a big-time playmaker for this Dolphins offense. But you heard Coach talk about the ways they can find find ways to fill out those reps, talking about how no one's going to go from 10 snaps to 60 snaps. They're going to find different creative ways to get different personnel groupings onto the field. Like, for instance, let's say you go 12 personnel. you got two tight ends on the field, which means you only need two receivers. If you would have had Preston and Parker out there, you're kind of bigger body guys, Maybe Mac Hollins can fill that role in that big body role of the two receiver sets. Maybe you go more speed looks like we've seen recently with Malcolm Perry and Jakeem Grant on the field in those 12 personnel packages. They have different groupings, different body types, different prototypes for those specific packages, but they also have multiple packages they can go to. Like for instance, the Dolphins have called exactly zero plays out of 00, 01, 02, or 10 personnel. Those are all your five and four receiver sets. Zero play calls out of those looks this season. 11 personnel, which is your three receiver look, your one tight end, your one back, your three receivers. Miami has 202 plays out of that package. That's the second fewest in the National Football League ahead of the Minnesota Vikings and just a few snaps below the Cleveland Browns, with Kevin Stefanski coming from that Minnesota Vikings 12 personnel heavy package. So we talk about 12 personnel, right? The Dolphins have run 117 plays out of 12 personnel and that is tied for 11th most in the National Football League with your two tight end personnel. Dolphins have also ran 10 plays out of 13 personnel. That's tied for 18th in the NFL, not the most. However, Miami's 20 personnel package, which is two backs, no tight ends on the field, they've run that grouping 28 times. That leads the National Football League. They've gone to 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. They've ran that one 61 times. That is the sixth most frequent calling of 21 personnel in the NFL. And finally, 22 personnel, two backs, two tight ends. That means just one receiver on the field. The Dolphins have gone to that 24 times. That's the 11th most in the National Football League. They've also called 23 personnel, two backs, three tight ends. That's no receivers on the field. And they've also gone with some heavy personnel as well with extra offensive linemen on the field. 
So Miami has different offensive packaging and grouping and player types and positions in general that they can use to replace those reps from Preston Williams. That's what Coach Flores is talking about there by saying it's not just plug and play receiver and keep the same package and same offense going. We have different ways and different contingencies to replace guys in the event this happens. That's building depth. That's building next man up mentality. That's your Miami Dolphins here in 2020. So there you go, Coach Flores' Wednesday morning media availability. Let's go ahead and jump now into the Week 10 preview. Dolphins will host the Chargers at Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday, November the 15th. It's a 4.05 kickoff at Miami Gardens. 83 degrees, mostly sunny. Might get our our best sunshine game of the season this year. 75% humidity and 12 mile per hour winds for the 5-3 and three Dolphins hosting the 2-6 and six Chargers. And, you know, last week was a really heart-pounding game that maybe took a couple of years off your life as Dolphins fans. We've been there before as football fans in general. That's what this league does to you, these tight-wire, high-stress games. They're fun when you come out victorious, but man, they are stressful when you're going through it. And the Dolphins will welcome another tough test to Hard Rock on Sunday as rookie quarterback Justin Justin Herbert and that high-powered Chargers offense comes to town. And like Miami, the Chargers spent a top 10 pick in this past April's draft on a quarterback, and they're enjoying the fruits of that selection so far. Herbert has been on fire to this point in his career. That offense is putting up yards and points on the scoreboard, which creates tight games down the stretch. But victory has found a way to elude this team this season and last year in the strangest ways imaginable. You saw the game last week with the fade into the back of the end zone. Looked like the tight end came down with the catch. The ball hits the ground. They wave it off. And listen to the Move the Sticks podcast this week. That was the third time this year Matt Money Smith, the Chargers play-by-play man, had claimed victory and had to go back and correct it because the the call was changed by the officials or something happened where the play just didn't work out in their favor. They are seemingly an impossible 3-14 and over the last two seasons in these one-score games, but it tells you about the quality of this team and how they can compete with pretty much any team in the NFL. They're just working on finding a way to close out those games. So for Flores and the Dolphins, playing for 60 minutes and finishing will once again be the message for this team for this game. The Dolphins have won four straight now with the latest win coming down to the wire, but they are going to be focused on the task to hand. Nothing has been accomplished yet. As Byron Jones said earlier this week, we still got eight more games against a bunch of really good opponents. So the challenge for us is yes, we've won a couple games in a row. It feels nice, but how we got here was through hard work and we're going to continue to do that. End quote. And the 2020 season lined up Miami's schedule to see both AFC and NFC West divisions this season, which means lots of travel for Miami, but also lots of travel for the opposition coming from West to East. The Chargers are 1-2 and two this season playing in the Eastern time zone and 3-3 three and three over the last two seasons combined, whereas the Dolphins are 1-2 and two at Hard Rock Stadium over the last two seasons playing against teams at home from the Pacific time zone. That's a deep stat for you there. The good old, he's batting 293 off left-handed pictures in dome stadiums in the month of September. Fun inside baseball type of stat for you there. The matchup highlights in this game. First, I put shoring up the edge because this Chargers pass rush can get after you. Nobody in the NFL blitzes less than the Chargers under defensive coordinator Gus Bradley, and he came up in that Pete Carroll system. We talked about it in the Jacksonville game back in week three. We talked about it in the Seattle game in week four, obviously there, but it's a heavy emphasis on zone looks. Lots of cover three, where you have three deep defenders taking one third of the field each. However, 
Bradley has shown his flexibility to his personnel in the past with the ability to adapt to his personnel. You go back to the 2018 AFC wildcard round against the Baltimore Ravens. He shows you plenty of dime defense on that day and puts pressure on Lamar Jackson relentlessly and stopped a Baltimore offense in that game that hadn't been stopped previously under Lamar Jackson. But the one constant for Bradley is getting pressure with the four-man pass rush. He did it in Seattle. He did it in Jacksonville. He's doing it here with the Los Angeles Chargers. And making matters easier for his rush scheme are the presence of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, two edge rushers that just wreak havoc on opposing offensive lines with a physical brand of football paired with a crafty rush arsenal. Bosa is one of five edge defenders with more quarterback pressures, 37, than the Dolphins defensive end Emmanuel Ogba, his 34. Ingram also has 23 pressures despite the fact that he missed three games this season. The Dolphins played seven offensive linemen on Sunday in Arizona with Jesse Davis and Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt all getting work at tackle. Perhaps one of the best ways to help shore up the edge with the tackle position is through strong play on the interior. Guard Eric Flowers and center Ted Karras have played a combined 604 snaps this season in pass protection and have allowed just 15 quarterback pressures. Really good work up the middle for Miami's offensive line. Maybe you can help the tackles with tight ends and running backs and chips that way because of that stout performance inside for Miami. The key matchup number two is limit the Chargers offensive lightning. A little bit of wordplay there for you guys. Bolts, lightning, get it? Despite playing one game fewer than all of his comp- his competition in this category, Justin Herbert is sixth in the NFL with 597 passing yards on throws 20 or more yards downfield. His nine touchdown passes on such throws ranks second behind only Russell Wilson of Seattle. And for Miami, coming into that game against the Cardinals, the Dolphins' three previous opponents were 0 for 14 on passes 20 or more yards downfield, but we saw Christian Kirk get downfield a couple of times for some big plays. So that'll be a fun matchup to watch as the Dolphins try to match the Chargers' deep threats, and they come in varying forms, man. Mike Williams has that kind of Devontae Parker gene about him, where he's going to go up and rebound those 50-50 balls and really make them more like 80-20 balls. He's 13th in the NFL with 213 receiving yards on throws 20 or more yards downfield and 14th in the league right behind Mike Williams is Jalen Guyton. He has 205 receiving yards on balls 20 or more yards down the field. More than half of Guyton's receiving production this year, 52.9% has come from deep passes. He's the only player in the top 45 of deep ball receivers per pro football focus with better than 50% of his yards coming on deep shots down the field. Forcing the Chargers to drive the field and execute in the red zone could be a winning recipe because for all the big plays they make, Los Angeles is 23rd in the red zone right now with a 57.1 conversion rate down in the red area. This is a a defense that bends but doesn't break, says Byron Jones. Usually we don't like to have a team sport, something like 30 points in the game, but it's good that we found a way to win that game in that circumstance, end quote, talking about a bend but don't break defense. The third and final point here, heat up Herbert, man. The best way to limit a vertical passing game is to make that quarterback uncomfortable with constant pressure. And Herbert comes equipped with an absolute howitzer attached to his right shoulder and enough athletic ability to make plays outside the pocket. So it's easier said than done. But the Chargers offensive line has allowed 111 pressures this year, while Miami have created 151 pressures of their own from 16 different players. Different guys come, different guys get pressure. It's a team effort up front. 
And when kept clean, Herbert is completing 71% of his passes for 8.1 yards per throw and 10 touchdowns and just three interceptions. Under pressure, though still very productive, there's a slight drop off there. He's completing 59% of those passes under pressure for 7.7 yards per pass, seven touchdowns and two picks. Still pretty good, but you get the sense that pressure is a way to limit his production at least a little bit. And right tackle Brian Balaga has been a steadying force for this Chargers offense. He's allowed only four quarterback pressures this, se- this season, far and away the fewest among LA offensive linemen. If Ogba can draw Balaga, that's a name matchup nightmare right there, and get some extra attention that way, it'll become imperative for Shaq Lawson and company to get after the quarterback with other one-on-one matchups. And some more Chargers personnel for you here. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention Keenan Allen's name. He is so dependable in that short to intermediate option area when the vertical game is not there. Arguably the best route runner in the NFL. For my money, he is the best route runner. He's second this year in receptions with 62 and 11th in receiving yards with 651. And the Chargers edge rush is more than just Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. Defensive tackle Jerry Tillery is second on the team with 24 quarterback pressures. He's on the interior. Yachena Nwosu comes off the edge with more depth there. He has 21 quarterback pressures this year. And Linval Joseph back inside kind of completes that powdered blue wall, as I've called it here. He has 16 quarterback pressures and 14 run stops this season. Linebacker Denzel Perryman at the second level is PFF's highest graded Chargers defender. He's a big hitting, aggressive off-ball linebacker who contributes both in the running and passing game and staying on that defensive side in the back end. The top two corners for Los Angeles have both been on the field for more than 92% of the defense's snaps this year in the absence of veteran Pro Bowl cornerback injured Chris Harris Jr., Michael Davis and Casey Hayward have combined to allow just 50 catches on 87 targets. That's 57.5% for 685 yards. That's 7.8 yards per pass. Five touchdowns and one pick on those two primary cornerbacks. The Chargers scheme offensively, they rank 17th in the NFL with 25.6 points per game, but second in total offense at 420 yards per game. The rushing offense is eighth with 135.6 yards per game, and they are fifth in passing at 284.4 yards through the air per game. And most teams run 11 personnel primarily. That's one running back, one tight end, three receivers. Only four teams run 11 personnel more than the Chargers who have called that package on 70% of their offensive snaps. The most frequently called package for them is 12 personnel. That's one running back, two tight ends, and two receivers. They've run 84 plays from that look and also utilized two running back sets more than the NFL meme with 64 snaps with two backs on the field. We heard Josh Boyer on his Tuesday press conference say it didn't really matter who the Chargers running back is. They get production out of all their guys there from Los Angeles. And the Chargers defense utilizes nickel defense with nearly the same frequency of the 11 personnel attack, kind of a matchup there. You go 11 personnel, you go nickel on defense to kind of match up three receivers, three cornerbacks. They call on five defensive backs 70.8% of the time, and half of the league calls dime defense less than 10% of the time, 16 teams. The Chargers are right at the median there at 9.1% of their snaps coming with six defensive backs. And nobody blitzes at a lower rate than the Chargers once again. They bring the extra rusher on just 11.9% of their snaps per pro football reference. They showcase their strength in the front four with a 22.9% pressure rate, 11th best in the NFL. So good coverage with a good pass rush there. The defense allows 27 points per game. That's 21st in the NFL. They are 14th in total defense with 358.5 yards surrendered per game. The rushing defense is 16th and so is the passing defense, rushing 118.3 yards per game and through the air 240.3 yards per game 
on this Chargers defense. And to finish out this preview piece, a couple of notes for a couple players who can hit some landmarks in their career. First, the Dolphins lead the all-time series with the Chargers 18-16. That includes a 2-2 mark in the postseason. And on Friday's flashback podcast with Kim Camper, we're going to talk about the 1981 and 1982 divisional round playoff games against these Chargers. Those games were split one apiece. Up to 2020, defensive tackle Christian Wilkins needs 34 tackles to reach 118 in his career. That would be the most tackles in the first two seasons of an NFL defensive tackle's career since at least 2010. Linebacker Jerome Baker needs just four tackles, so he'll probably get there this game, if not the following game, to become the first Dolphins player since at least 2000 to total at least 267 tackles in the first three seasons of his career. And the next start for guard slash tackle Jesse Davis will be the 50th in his career so far. And as we always do, we'll have post-game coverage for you guys up on MiamiDolphins.com with the Sunday Night Spotlight, the recap story, the written version of that on MiamiDolphins.com, as well as the five takeaways, John Congemi, individual performances, and audio from coach and players after the game on the Drive Time Podcast with yours truly, Travis Wingfield. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with player media availability from Wednesday. And we will go ahead and start with wide receiver Devontae Parker, who was asked about the injury to Preston Williams, and how the Dolphins will overcome that injury. I would say, you know, it's, it's next man up. That's just the mentality that we have to have. And you never know when your name will be called. You just got to be ready at all times. And we'll hear from quarterback Tua Tungavailoa in just one second. How did Devontae feel about watching Tua run in open space as a scrambling quarterback on Sunday? That was great to see. I didn't know he had it in him. But um, he put on some good moves against them. And, and um, you know, like I said, I'm happy for him, man. You know, we just got to continue to keep getting better. And next, we got to hear from Austin Jackson again for the first time since before his injury. Up first, Austin was asked about playing guys like Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa and what those two guys do best. Oh, you know, Ingram's a real shifty guy. Um, Great at reading leverage. I know that's one thing he's really good at. And then I would say uh, Bosa on the other side, same thing. Um, Both very technical both very uh, technique sound defensive ends. So that means like, you know, they're going to read like shoulder leverage and all that stuff. So uh, I think that's what they do best or that's what they do. One of the things they do best. And not much of a setup needed for this one. Austin was asked how he felt he played in his first game back off the injury. Sunday, I I think I played, I think I played well. Um, There's definitely always things um, you can work on. For example, I got, I got tripped up on my sack. I think it was the only sack I gave up. I got tripped up, but um, that's just stuff, you know, learning the spatial, having that spatial awareness that you kind of gain a sense of, you know, where you're moving in the pocket and stuff like that um, for an offensive lineman is big. So getting my first game back and getting back used to that was was a challenge. Um, but for the most part, you know, I felt like I, you know, prepared myself to go in there and not leave a drop off for the team. So uh, I think I did pretty well. And the next one here from Austin, the final one, I was really curious to hear from him because we heard Byron Jones earlier in the season talk about really missing games for the first time in his NFL career and the preparation of game week when you know you're not going to play. He talked about getting more mental reps. Here's Austin Jackson on that same category. And then I would say when I was out, you know, not being able to practice with the team, I got, you know, more chance to look at film, to really study 
and memorize and learn a bunch of new things, you know, just studying NFL defenses, really. Um, learning defensive movements, defensive assignments, you know, stuff like that um, helped me a lot. And I studied that a lot and, you know, extra, extra, extra hours in the weight room and in the training room uh, too. Those, those helped as well while I was out. Let's flip it over to the guys that try to rush on players like Austin Jackson and talk to Shaq Lawson, who, of course, had his first scoop and score, his first touchdown of his NFL career on Sunday in the win over the Cardinals. Shaq was asked to kick off his media availability. What's the latest, fastest 40 time he's ran? Uh, my last 40 time was like a 4.68 when I ran at the combine, something like that. But, yeah, that's what I had in my mind. Like, man, that's all I was thinking about. I cannot get caught. Like, it's my first opportunity. I can't get caught. Shaq was also asked about if he had visions of DK Metcalf coming in from behind to get that tackle on him. See, I I was thinking about that. Then I was like, all right, man, they don't got nobody like DK that fast. And then how far I was in front of a lot of people. Like, they had, like, at least 15 more yards. The only thing I seen was the offensive line. I seen two offensive lines. And then next thing I know, I see my boy Brandon come with a big block. I say, oh, yeah, I needed that. Let's go ahead and finish up here with your starting quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa, who first was asked, kind of a theme of the day, how do you guys compartmentalize and block out the noise from the outside with all the outside hype and praise from major networks? Here's Tua on blocking out the outside noise. But I, I think as a team, I mean, the, the way we, we go about doing things every day is is – it's kind of hard to get complacent. And so the way we, we go about doing things, um, you know, is just with what Flo says is just, you know, keeping our head down, continuing to grind. Um, you know, the, the feeling of winning is, is good, but you know, the, the feeling of, of loss is, I mean, it's, it's, it's the opposite and, and we don't want to feel that. Um, and so we know that in order to, to give us the best chance to be successful, we gotta, we gotta go in, you know, and, and we got to work hard in preparation um, as well as executing, you know, you know, like I said, preparation for the team that we're, we're up against. Let's get some evaluation here from Tua on the jump from his first career start to a second career start, how he felt he progressed over those two games against the Rams and the Cardinals. Yeah, start, start one um, to start two. I, I mean, I would say we were able to, to, to push the ball downfield a lot more. We were able to get into a groove offensively with the pass game, um, you know, as well as the run game. Um, but I, I think there's just continuations of what you can improve on. That's, that's the best thing, and that's, that's the best way to go about it. You know, when you, when you feel like there's nothing else you can improve on, then and that's not good. And the inside the film or inside the NFL films crew caught that moment between both Tua and Coach Brian Flores at the end of the game when they were kind of giving the game ball back and forth to each other, but Tua eventually gave it to Brian Flores. Here is Tua on that moment between he and Coach Flores. You know, I, I seen Flo. Flo was waiting, and I had the game ball. And when I when I went up to him, it was just one of those like, I don't know. For me, it was like thank you for taking a shot on me. Um, because, like I said, a year ago, I mean, who who would have known? I I could have had a season-ending uh, injury, but, you know, Miami Dolphins decided to take a chance on me. 
And in that game, the Dolphins had to overcome some injuries and some players not available at the start of the game. Here's Tua on the Dolphins' loss of Preston Williams going to the injury reserve and how he feels the team can respond and rebound from losing Preston Williams. Yeah, it's tough um, losing someone like Preston, um, who's kind of been a game changer, you know, for us while he's been in there. Um, He's been targeted a lot more, I feel like, this year um, in our offense. But... I mean, it, it's next man up, um, you know, and really it, it it's the, pretty much all the guys that you guys have seen, um, you know, against well, what, when we played the Cardinals. That was pretty much the guys that need to step up. And then, you know, there's probably going to be some other guys as well, but um, it's, it's just really a daily competition for all of us. Um, you know, receiving core, quarterbacks, the list goes on. Um, and so nothing really changes um, as far as who I'm going to target more and whatnot. It's I got to go through my progression. And, you know, if that's the open person, then that's that's where I, the ball needs to go. to. And one last fun note, I think Dolphins fans will love to hear on the Drive Time podcast. I mentioned a few weeks back that I was walking from the building over to the podcast studio far away from the practice field, but in the distance, I saw Miles Gaskin getting extra work on the ladder and doing some of the work that we heard Jerome Baker talk about with regards to him coming in on his off day on Tuesday, which is Players Day off across the NFL. This Tuesday, made the same walk far side away from the practice field. And who do I see out there besides Tua walking out at 9.30 in the morning with a football in hand, getting ready to do some extra work. So thought that was cool. Thought it was a cool nugget. So there you have it. Plenty of information and detail on this Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. As for my time today, that's going to be my time. Come back with us tomorrow and check out the feature with Adam Shaheen talking about the Dolphins' tight ends room. And we'll also get some more media for you guys as well. All ahead of Flashback on Friday with Kim Camper talking about the 1981 and 1982 playoff games against the then San Diego Chargers. Plenty more to come here this week on Drive Time. But in the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield. NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Audible and the Fish Tank podcast. You do not want to miss the Brandon Marshall episode of the Fish Tank. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com, the written preview up there right now on the website. Till next time, fins up.